Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Lindsay and Shilomo Suisa, dedicated in honor of their son, Shiloh, who's here live with us today. I remember when you were just a young boy, uh, you should always merit to represent the basis of your name, which is really the holiest place that the Jewish people had before the time of the Beit HaMikdash. So you should always be a very holy and special boy, Shiloh. Azaku Baruch. It's also dedicated today in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra Lea Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Lea Batova Kohen and Chana, whose philanthropy has reached so many throughout the world. The Week of Cobra was also sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, uh, the Cohen and Hulu families for the wedding today. Uh, they prayed in the first minyan, Sammy, I'm so sorry to say. They prayed in the first minyan. Uh, Joe, Joe and, uh, and Sarah are going to be ma- getting married today. Be'ezat Hashem, they should be zochet to have many, many years of happiness and joy together. Also, I want to say a tremendous thank you to the Kehillah. I want to, you know, you, people thank the rabbis and they thank the, the Hazanim. But the rabbis also have to thank the people. The Bet Knesset on Shabbat was nothing short of a miracle. The, you know, Friday night, there were so many people, it looked like it was Rosh Hashanah, okay? Shabbat morning, 400 people, teen minyan at 9.30, kids programs in the morning for little kids, for older kids, for teenagers. Uh, and, and in the afternoon, the Shabbat afternoon class, there was people, you know, halfway into the hallway. My heart was full with gratitude to Hashem. And I must say thank you to all the people uh, who came for the class, stay for a Sheet with the rabbi, Rabbi Mizrahi, Rabbi Ibrahimov. It's, it's so special to be a part of the renaissance that is happening here. Thank you so much for helping us. My friends, in this week's Perasha, we read a beautiful line. The Torah tells us that if a person is looking at the Torah and they say to God, they turn to Hashem and they say with such heartfelt devotion, they say, you know, the Torah... You know, maybe it's in the, in the skies, in the heavens. Who's going to go up? Mi ya'alelanu. Come on, Milton, you got it for us? Mi ya'alelanu ha'shamayema. No, that way, no? That's not from Halab. Vi yikachelanu v'yashmienu ta v'na'asena. Who's going to go to the heavens? Bring it down for us that we could li- and tell us so we could do it. Maybe the Torah is me'ever layam, on the other side of the ocean. Could you imagine that the Jewish people for many years, they lived in Galut. They lived in various cities and various towns. They didn't have a rabbi. In fact, the Hida writes an incredible story. There was once a ship with four great rabbis on it during the time, the period of the Geonim. Okay? During the Geonic era, which precedes the time of the Rishonim. So in between the Gemara, the Amoraim, and the Rishonim, there were a couple different small groups. One group was the Geonim. Rav, Rav Sadia Gaon, Rav Hai Gaon, Rav Nisim Gaon, etc. There was a few different Geonim in that period. At that time, there were four of the great rabbis of the era that were traveling. And all of a sudden, the ship was blown off course, and it was attacked by pirates. And each one of these four great Torah scholars was taken in chains and sold as slaves in the slave market. They bring these rabbis to the slave market and someone from the Jewish community is there and they see a guy who looks like a big Talmud Chacham with his chains on 
And he comes over, he says, you know, what's going on? Shalom Aleichem. They tell him, look, we were captured. You know, what's, what's your story? He tells him he's a rabbi. He realizes very quickly these are great rabbis. The guy, the pirate, who was going to give a discount, you know, on these weak-looking maybe rabbis, you know, now he realizes he's got somebody special here. So he raises the price for the rabbis to an exorbitant amount of money. The community that's local can only redeem one of them. So they pay for one rabbi. The guy, the pirate, now takes these three remaining rabbis, puts them back on his ship, travels to the next slave port. The next community now notices the same. Well, maybe they sent word ahead, you know, carrier pigeon or whatnot. And they find out that there's a rabbi come. They go and they could also only afford one. And so these four geonim were taken, captured, sold into slavery, and each time they went to another port, another city, another country, they were redeemed by the people of that country. And the Chida writes, these four geonim were unwilling to leave Eretz Israel, wherever they were coming from, and they, these communities in the diaspora, they required leadership. Borei Olam does what's necessary to get the people, the Talmidei Chachamim, to be where the people are needing them the most. And this was the way to spread the Torah to all these places that otherwise would not have had Torah. There were communities that, ne- that could not afford a rabbi. They could not convince a rabbi to come to some far-flung area, did not have a mikveh, did not have schools for his children. So God made his own arrangements. But there was Jewish people throughout the millennia who said the Torah is me'ever layam, on the other side of the ocean. Before the revival of Torah in America, Jews in America were in a spiritual wasteland. And in many ways, the rabbis that came from Europe, the rabbis that came from the Middle East, from Halab, from Iraq, from Iran, right? These rabbis brought to America a tremendous spirit of wisdom, of knowledge. They set up yeshivot, and in many ways, they revived Torah in America. But my friends, the Lashon of the Pasuk is telling us something very special. The Torah is not in the heaven. The Torah is not across the ocean. Rather, where is it? Where is the Torah? Kikarov elecha hadavar meod. This thing, it's very close to you. Beficha ubilvavecha laasoto. In your mouth and in your heart laasoto to do it. Now it's a little puzzling what the Torah means. What does that mean? The Torah is close to you. It's in your heart, it's in your mouth. What does that mean? Lots of people have hearts and mouths and don't have Torah. What does that mean? And I think we maybe perhaps misinterpret what the Pasuk is saying to us here. Maybe, just maybe, we think that the Torah is asking us, or is talking about, the concepts of Torah. Look, I have no one to tell me what time to say Shema in the morning. I have no one to tell me uh, you know, how much matzah I have to eat on Pesach. So I don't know. The Torah is in the heavens. The Torah is across the ocean. The Torah is not talking about that. It's not what it's saying. It's telling us something different. Every nishama yearns, yearns, is desperate to be given Torah in a way that that Torah is compelling. That that Torah is something that you're capable of getting your heart behind. 
We spoke a lot about that this Shabbat, on Friday night, when we talked about Levavecha and on Shabbat morning. We spoke a lot about it on Shabbat afternoon, where we talked about the Torah speaking in someone's language, when we talked about the translation of the Torah into the 70 languages and the engraving of that Torah on the stones that were put on Har Gerizim and Har Eval. But over here, the Pasuk is saying something different. The Shem Mishmuel asks a, a fascinating question. We read this past week about the fact that you were meant to carve the words of Torah onto the stones in 70 languages. Asks the Shem Mishmuel. He says, I don't understand. You want me, at least according to the opinion of Ramban, to write the whole Torah on these stones. He said, this is the only time when we find the Torah being written on an object that never had any life. Normally the mitzvah is to write the Torah on a piece of parchment. And why do we write it on a piece of parchment? The reason is because the Torah could only be absorbed by something that had life in it. And the Shemi Shmuel is asking this as a question. Why would we write it on something that doesn't and never did have life? Even. Instead, where is the Torah meant to be written? Like this week's parasha. It's meant to be written on your heart and in your mouth. <coughs> My friends, if you love something, you know what happens? What happens if there's something you love? It never is capable of staying inside your heart. If you love something with a deep and abiding love, what happens? It bubbles to the surface. A guy who loves sports, what do you hear him talking about? Sports. A guy who loves Torah, what does he talk about? Torah. A guy who loves food, he's a foodie, what is he always talking about? Food. You know, my son is a massive sports fan. Loves sports. If he's ever upset, and he's like, walks away from the table, or he's sitting on the couch, if we start talking sports at the table, he can't help himself. He's got to come back, and in the conversation, what are you talking about? Judges the MVP, knows everything about everything. He's excited. He loves sports. So the conversation of sports is something that comes from that which you love. I have lots of people tell me, Rabbi, I love learning Torah. I said, do you say it over at the table? Nah, it's not that kind of table. I said, do you talk about food? Talk about food. Talk about sports? Talk about sports. Why? Because you love food and you love sports. If you love Torah, it doesn't matter that no one else wants to talk about it. You talk about it anyway, right? Anyone who goes to CrossFit, right? Who goes spinning, who goes to Soul Cycle, anyone who has a Peloton, anyone who's vegan, trust me, you're going to hear about it. Even if you don't want to hear about it, they want to talk about it, they're going to talk about it. I experience this oftentimes with Met fans. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but they want to talk about it. For many years, the Mets were very, very bad. I used to say, that's the Berachah that we say in the Amidah. Mechaye HaMet Team. Right? You understand me? Okay? You love something, you talk about it. So the Pasuk is saying, when Torah feels distant, when Torah feels like it's something that belongs in the heavens, or sits in the heavens, it feels like it's on the other side of the ocean. You feel far from it. 
Bificha ubilivavecha la asoto. If you bring it into your heart, if it's something that you talk about, vidibartabam, you're speaking about it all the time. You know what happens? Torah will begin to feel close. Now, here is something that I love to point out to people. People who have a difficult relationship with their wife, with their husband, with their children, they think to themselves, you know, I really would love to be closer to them. So most people think that, unfortunately, there's nothing to do about it. You either are close, either love, you have a warm relationship, or you don't. But Chazal, our rabbis teach us that that's not the case. Our rabbis teach us that the nature of the word ahava, love, it has its root in the word have, which means to give. So what do you do if you're not feeling love? Give. Human psychology tells you, if you love, then you give. Rabbinic wisdom teaches you, if you give, then you love. There's no one a human being invests in more than their children, correct? That's why your love for your children is so strong, because you've made so much investment. You've given and given and given and given, and the more you give to someone, and the more you give uh, for someone, the more you love them. So my friends, the Torah is teaching us here something very beautiful. What happens when you don't feel connected to Torah? It feels distant. Says the Torah, bring it into your heart. Talk about it. Get involved. You know, sometimes people go to a shiur and they don't love it. You know what happens, though, after a while? After a while, as much as you hated Dafyomi and you didn't want to get up in the morning, and you know what the rabbi was blabbing on about when he's talking about 16, you know, pages filled of three Amod versus two Amod versus Chazakah versus, you know what's going on? Eventually it gets a point where you've invested enough in the Gemara, you've invested enough in your Torah learning, that you begin to love it. Suddenly, you'll want to do the Torah. So my friends, going to the gym in the beginning is terrible. Learning to play basketball with the coach where he's telling you, do the drills, drill it like this, go here, show me the hand, give me 50 shots, run back and forth across the court, it's not enjoyable. But eventually comes a point when you become proficient at it, that you love basketball. You see these guys like me, 45 years old, on the basketball court, you're wearing your knee brace, you got your thing, your shoes are tight, tight, you have a shoe thing underneath the sneaker, right? And then after the game is over, you have a great time, and you walk off the court, you're like this, you know, oh, what happened? Oh, I twisted my uh, Flumenschlaben, right? You know, you, 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 and still, you can't stay away, you love it. When you invest it, then you love it. That's what brings it to life. So let's go back to this question of the Shemish Muel. So if the way Torah can be kept, the way Torah can be observed, is if it's brought to life, is if it's karov elecha, you've brought it close to yourself, it's now part of you, it's in your heart, it's in your conversation, it's what you're talking about. You ever meet a rabbi who tells a story that doesn't have a lesson? Ever meet a rabbi like that? Whatever the story is, it could be about anything. And you know what I learned from this? <laughs> you know why? They're addicted. They're addicted to Torah. They're addicted to learning. They're addicted to growth. So everything, every experience, becomes imbued with a Torah lesson. Why? Because when it comes so close that it's part of you, 
your experience was filtered through a part of you which is Torah-driven and Torah-based. You could have a Torah heart. Can I ask you a question? You ever come to a scenario where you, you have a question whether something is allowed or not, and you don't know because you never learned, but you said, you know what, it just feels like it's wrong. I just felt, you know, I don't know, I can't back it up, I can't tell you why. Then you go to ask the rabbi, is it right? Is it right? The rabbi's like, you know what, you're actually right. The Gemara says, the Mishnah says, the Halakha says, you were right. What happened there? Your heart is becoming refined. It's becoming attenuated to the thought process of the Torah. Ergo, the thought process of God himself. <coughs> A lot of people listen to this class, Baruch Hashem. My mother, my family, a couple of people, okay? They listen often. Do you know what happens after you listen to a class and you hear someone teaching Torah for a year, two years, almost every day? You know what happens? You start to learn what that person would say, think, do in any given situation. I already know what Rabbi Farhi would say about this, even though he never talked about it. That's the sign of a Talmud. Someone went to my rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz, and asked him a question. And Rabbi Berkowitz gave him advice. And the person came back to me after he'd asked me the same question. He says, you know, I went to speak to Rabbi Berkowitz about it. Rabbi Berkowitz said the exact same thing as you said. I can't tell you. I was floating on cloud nine. Because that means that I'm a real student. Because a real student is not someone that can parrot back what his rabbi says. That's a tape recorder. Okay? A real student is someone who can intuit what his rabbi would say, even in something that he hasn't heard him speak about. Because you've heard him speak about enough that you've become a student. That's a student where I studied by Berkowitz for three years. But technically, think about the fact that when we study Torah, all of us are Talmidim, students of the greatest Rebbe in the world, the greatest rabbi ever, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. What a magnificent idea to start to intuit and know what does Hashem want from me in this situation? Even though I've never heard, I don't know, I've never learned. I want to share with you a wild concept. The Sefarim tell us by Noah a very interesting line. The Pasuk says, Et ha-Elohim Noach. Noach walked with God. We have another pasuk in the Torah. It says, Achare Hashem Elokechem Telechu. After Hashem, your God, you should walk. So Noah is walking with God. The pasuk I just quoted you says, you should walk after God. But you know what it says about Avraham? God says to Avraham, Hitalech Lefanai Veheye Tamim. Walk in front of me and be perfect. Be pure. So we have walking with God. We have walking behind God. And then we have with Abraham walking in front of God. Now this is not just about how you go walking. When you're walking with God, you can take your cues from Him. When you're walking behind God, you could follow Him. 
But to walk in front of God means I need to intuit, I need to know already which path God's going to take. As sung so beautifully by Uncle Maishi, in his hit single, Don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Right? What if God didn't follow Avraham? What if in a fork in the road, Avraham went right and God went left? That's the danger of walking in front of God, right? Not if you're a real student. God says about Avraham, Avraham Ohavi, he's Avraham my beloved. When you love someone, it means that you're close. If you're close, ki karov elecha hadavar me'od, beficha ubilvavecha la'asoto, in your heart and in your mouth, it's so much a part of your life that do you know what your wife would want if you went to the flower store? You better. Do you know what your wife would want to order if she comes 20 minutes late to a restaurant? You better. Right? That's love. That's closeness. My friends, during this time, I always think of one idea. We talk about this time, the time of Rosh Hashanah Elul, as a time of Teshuvah. And the Talmud tells us that part of the reason for that is because Dirshu Hashem Bihim Seek out God Bihim when He is found. What's the end of that Pasuk? Dirshu is the first part. Dirshu Hashem Bihim Call to Him Bihiyoto Karov When He's close. Now is a time of closeness. God loves us, we love Him. There's this period of time where God is very close and therefore you can seek Him out, it's easier. You could call out to Him, it's easier. Like we say in Ashrei, God is close to all those that call out to Him. So it is the calling out itself which increases this kurva, this connection, this closeness. So my friends, in this period of time when God is close, when you could call out to Him, when you could seek Him out, don't miss the chance to be able to bring God into your own self, your own self, your own consciousness. Elon Musk is working on something, and we'll end with this. It's called Neuralace or Neuralink. His idea was that instead of having all the technology in your phone, all the technology in a pair of glasses, what if we could have a chip that you would implant in your brain, and your brain would interact with, with technology, with the internet? What if you could send text messages with your brain? You know, you're, you're, you're going to arrive late. You just think, send a text message to Harry. The Shi'ur Gemara is going to start in five minutes. What if I could send that text by thinking that? What if I could order flowers for my wife while she's yelling at me? How great would that be? Right, honey, I already ordered the flower. What are you talking Did you pick up the laundry? Click. <laughs> yes, actually, yes, honey. I, I did it now as you were saying it, right? That was his idea. And I don't know, I'm, I'm very, 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 very frightened of where that will go for a lot of reasons. But my friends, one thing I will tell you. If you could bring the digital universe into your brain, the far, furthest reaches of space, the satellites of the heavens could be linked with your brain in a physical, real, measurable, you know, demonstrable way. 
then this pasuk, which talks about something which is in the heavens, i.e. God, is Torah. At the very least, that could be the case here too. We could ponder what would Hashem say, what does the Torah say, before we act. We could bring it so close that it becomes beficha u It's in your heart, it's in your speech, it's part of everything that you do. It's always part of the conversation. I'm going to give you one last example for this. I want you to imagine Hasve Shalom, a person has a special needs child in the family. I want you to imagine for an example, right, that someone unfortunately has a child with some sort of a disability. The child can't see. Could you imagine how every single decision in your life would now be filtered through the fact that my reality is, that we need a ramp because it needs a wheelchair. We have to get up. You can't just go to a place that doesn't have a ramp. You can't get, can't get the kid in. can't get the kid on the rides. can't get the kid on the plane. Everything has to run through and be filtered through the possibilities of that limitation, correct? Of that, of that challenge. My friends, the same way it is possible to shift a mindset so that no decision is made without that in mind, that's what the Torah is telling us here on the other side. If as an example, today, today, you inherited a hundred billion dollars, immediately, now that everybody knows that you're that wealthy, there's a target on your back. And you know what it says? Rob me. You have to get security. You can't fly wherever you want, however you want. You can't take a stroll down. You can't. Your reality changes because you're a, you have a hundred billion dollars. That's just the state of it. That's just how it works, correct? Is that true? My friends, if that is true, the same way there are things that can happen to us in our life that would alter the very fabric of our existence so that every choice needs to be filtered through our new reality, that moment was the moment at Mount Sinai. When we became the chosen people, when we were giving the Torah, in that specific split second, our lives changed forever. And it's not something far away. It's part of your present state of mind. It's part of your choices, your decisions, where you go on vacation, what you're going to eat, how you're going to behave, what business you're going to go to, which, cho- which school you're going to send your children to. In some states, people will choose which state to live in based on whether or not yeshiva tuition is, is covered or not covered. Look at how much it becomes a part of our, uh, of our conversation. Hashem should bless us to have a Torah that is ever-present and to have a God that always feels close. Baruch Amen.